0: You're always a little bit on on that thin line between thinking, okay, now I made a budget, so I'm hopeful that this will work out. But then on the other hand, you see, oh, wow, if it doesn't work out, then I have to let go more people.
1: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Philip, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
0: It's good to be here. Thanks a lot for the invitation.
1: You are the co-founder and CFO COO at Treksoft, a booking solution for the tour and activities market. And before we talk about your impressive story, I want to start with your personal background. You actually studied business administration at the University of St. Gallen here in Switzerland, and your first job after university was at Zimtkorn, a web agency together with Adjan Locher, also a former Swiss guest, Mm. and Valentin Binnendijk, your co-founder at Treksoft later down the road. So I just wonder, where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? What sort of kept you into that startup, that agency's uh, entrepreneurial story business, basically, instead of going for a big job at the corporate?
0: Actually, I have to to correct you a bit, because the first entrepreneurial experience I had was... um, when I was 18 years old, I founded a company or it was not a company, it was more like a website. It's called prüfungen.ch. That was my first kind of experience with be- being an entrepreneur, you know. So that was during my high school years. Um, mm-hmm. and we had the great idea to, um, collect all old kind of, um, exams. From high school, right? <laughs> That's the reason why it's like in German, prüfungen.ch, right? right? And then we did upload them uh, on a server. Like mm-hmm. so I had a that that uh, PDFs, you know, just like a normal scanner, right? So I right. was like scanning hundreds of exams, right? Old exams. Right. And basically with that with that kind of project, the 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 teachers were so lazy <laughs> that they always used the same tests, right? So yep. and that's the way I, we got a lot of traffic. And back in those days, um, you could live off off that traffic by selling advertising in one form or the other. So that was really my first experience. But um, later on, um, during then my studies at the University of St. Gallen, I met Adrian and Valentin. And the funny thing was Valentin, Valentin Binnendijk. So he's, he's my co-founder at, at Treksoft. And he's also running uh, now IOMA, his own new startup. Mm-hmm. Um, but Valentin had a similar project called HSginfo.net. And it was the same kind of idea, right? So you collect like the same business model, if you if you want, right? So you collect all old exams from university teachers. they also... Sorry, not all of you, but some of you are lazy, <laughs> and then and then basically the the like we basically started like with that project together, and then we evolved into um, another great idea. Um, so it wasn't like the the most innovative idea, but it was a good way to make money during the the studies, and mm-hmm. that was somehow creating websites for small medium sized companies, and that was Simcorn. Um, And, yeah, Adrian Adrian Locher was the creative director back then, so he was very creative and uh, he evolved as well, right, into many different roles in his life, but uh, that was really a good time.
1: It's just fascinating to see, you know, the the early days of your entrepreneurial career, and also where the the ways basically came together with these serial founders, so to speak. Just a quick follow up question on on your uh, proofung.ch business model. So you just offered the the exams free of charge and were fully financed by advertising, or did you also uh, charge for the actual uh, access to the exams?
0: Yeah, you know, back then, you know, I was 18 years old, right? Um, I was, I was, but (laughs) we had, like, we had quite a bit of media attention back then, because It was a good story. Like, uh, the Swiss television, uh, SRF, they, ca- wow. they came to my high school and you know, like, so I'm, I'm from Interlaken. So they came to my high school in Interlaken and they wanted t- basically to see what happens. Right. Because like basically it was also a legal question because exactly. the intellectual property was, um, belonging to the teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Not to me. Right. So I basically was doing like, let's say, let's call it a gray zone. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh, and, and yeah. So uh, it was an interesting kind of, of of story, but like from a monetization perspective, you know, like I was really just discovering how to monetize. So I, cool. I had a bit of advertising revenue, um, but no membership revenue. So, yeah. yeah, it's
1: a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. Yeah, Yeah. And where does that drive come from? Do you have any entrepreneurs or role models in your family that inspired you to pursue that path? Or was it just more like hey, I saw a problem, something that I want to use myself, so I just started uploading these these
0: exams. Yeah, I just... No, I, it's... I think it was really out of own initiative to, to uh, you know, just to do something and uh, to, yeah, you know, just basically, I think to some degree make a bit of money, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But also then to, to you know, like uh, develop something new, right? And I think there was... I didn't have back then a role model in my family or something like that. Got
1: it. What's also interesting is if we look at your agency together with Valentin and and Adrian, you all then also pursued careers in different paths, right? So basically Adrian did, I think, many different things from deal now uh, into the artificial intelligence space. And you then eventually landed in the tourism and outdoor sports market. So how did that passion emerge? Where did that come from?
0: So after my uh, studies in St. Gallen, I wanted to go back home. So yeah. and back home for me is uh, that's also changing now in my life a bit. But uh, back then it was Interlaken and um yeah I've, i really missed uh, my home, right? Interlaken, that that mountain town, you know, it's between a beautiful the two spot. lakes, between the two lakes, yeah. and like uh und Jungfrau, right? I do a bit of advertising here of for, my, <laughs> 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 for my hometown. So um yeah, and um I wanted to go back home, and in Interlaken, the reality is really um, tourism is so dominant as as the industry, right? So, like, what else can you do, really, if you if you're a young entrepreneur and you wanna wanna have success, you know? Um, I think or uh, well, success sounds, sounds a bit ambitious, but I, I basically my goal was to to do something, right, to mm-hmm. change something, and I think it, the tourism industry was really um, the thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, and then I was lucky, I have to say, because I, I came to then to Outer Interlaken, which mm-hmm. is the, the leading adventure company in Switzerland. Um, we organize rafting, uh, canyoning, and all those exciting adventure activities in Interlaken. And, um, they were searching for somebody to help out, basically. Um, mm-hmm. so not, I have to, um, specify. So not to help out in the, in on basically in the boat mm-hmm. right but more or as a guide but more to help out in back office marketing and, right. and that stuff right yeah. and um so i did right that was um, back in 2007 mm-hmm. and um yeah
1: that's basically how it emerged from yeah, there exactly along the way you actually also met your third co-founder john um can you talk a bit more about how you met and what basically made the relationship so special that you then decided to start a company together
0: yeah so john was the one of the he is one of the founders of outer interlaken yeah. he's originally from uh, new hampshire in um, in the us mm-hmm. um and he he moved uh, in relatively young ages to to switzerland and he met his wife you know like you know how it is love you know and And then basically, he he stayed in in, in Switzerland and um, he was one of the founders and and owners of Outer Interlaken. That's how we met. Uh, He was basically the one asking me, hey, would you have some capacity to help out at at Outer Interlaken? And um, since then, I think... I, uh, one really special thing in in the outdoor interlocking environment, and not only outdoor interlocking, but just in that kind of guide environment, uh, uh, raft guides, uh, canyoning guides, you know, okay. all those people, they are very honest people, very very, you know, just like they have a really, it's it's fun to work with them. Mm-hmm. There's really good people.
1: Right. Cool. Yeah. And I imagine then you mentioned 2007, you actually joined outdoor interlocking. And then at the, at the certain point, you also realized that there's a problem that you could solve with software, I uh, imagine. So because in 2010, you then co-founded TrekSoft together with John and also Valentin, that, who you already worked with previously. So what was the specific problem that you then saw and what frustrated you so much that
0: you had to create your own company around it? So, um, so shortly after 2007, I think it was already 2008, 2009, um we basically needed a booking solution Mm -hmm. um it was for outer interlaken and a couple of other companies in interlaken um and we like some like the companies were using different systems back then and one of the systems i remember is called hostel world which is basically not a system for tourism activities or uh, experiences but it's more like a system for hostels to Mm -hmm. book hostels online um and we we thought okay that's not optimal and then we we had a look in 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 the market you know um are the systems already available in existence Mm -hmm. and then i think if i look today and look back right i think we were a bit you know like we can do that better right yes (laughs) but i think they it would be not entirely true, I think, if we would say, okay, there were no system in existence, right? So I think there were systems in existence, but we thought we can do it better. And then, luckily, because I, I thought, okay, now I need somebody who can code and co- mm-hmm. who can get it done, uh, basically to build an online booking system for experiences for Outer Interlaken and all those other companies. And Valentin, That's the guy I knew, right? Valentin. Um, he was around. So I called him, Hey, Valentin. Hey, we need a system, you know. And then before we started Tracksoft, we had the, like, um, the domain reserved and used uh, adventureshop.ch. That Mm -hmm. was basically before we started, uh, uh, Tracksoft. Um, so Valentin was the, like the first version of that. He was coding by himself. And he's really, in that, he's really, really good. He's extremely fast. So I remember that we were sitting in his apartment and we were sitting next to each other. And then he was just coding, right? I, yeah. I was basically telling him, okay, uh, that's what we need, right? And then he was coding. And it was super, very fast iteration process, right? Amazing. <laughs>
1: But I think that's super cool. You know, these these early beginnings, basically, uh, these early days, and then actually, why was twenty ten or twenty twelve when it then actually went live with the platform? Why was that the right timing to get started with a booking
0: platform for the travel industry? So I think it, it's it's a bit hard to tell, but I think I would say that back then we thought now we either. Make it real business mm-hmm. or we somehow stock in 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 a process right um so I think the the like it was really we needed to make a step basically in two thousand and ten we formed an a g with our own money first, yeah. and I think that was somehow a natural next step to really have some skin in the game right and not just right. like like have it a side project you know like and my main job was outer interlock and valentine had uh, another main job and so it, like just to make that next step we needed to make it more kind of yeah clear this is not only a, a hobby and th- this is something which has to de- the right or to, should have the right to to become its own company So
1: there are two things that I would like to to address here in a bit more detail. So first of all, you did start that on the side besides your regular job, your other activities that basically paid your salary, I imagine, because in the early days, you don't really pay yourself a salary if you you start that way. Why was that the right setup for you instead of going all in from the beginning? Was that ever an option or was it really that step-by-step growth process that was so important to also actually make it as a company?
0: I think for all I specifically for the people involved um I would say it wasn't an option to from day one go all in on that project so why we not? just wanted to see why not yeah. um we just wanted to see a little bit of traction mm-hmm. we we wanted to see further we you know like when you start a company you have an idea right so this this could work right so this is the product this is the customer this could work and then the question is okay can you like is it only one customer or do, do, do you have multiple customers which right. will be the goal right so and all those those little steps um it's almost like a checkbox right like like if you evolve in that journey to build up okay. your company and i think for, for all of all of us involved i think it was clear that we wanted to see the traction before we we make a next step
1: did you have any specific milestones or KPIs defined where you said, if we hit these numbers, then we actually start investing our own money, found the AG, and then go in full time? Or how do you deal with that expectation management?
0: Um, I think back then, the, what we what we wanted to see was that we win clients. Yeah, um, I think that that was the most important thing for us to win clients and the other thing was important right if you and i think that's quite often the case for other young entrepreneurs so normally the first couple of sales you do inside your network right so true you know xyz you call them hey i have a new great product you know (laughs) you should use it and 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 then let's say i'm not sure if that's if that's somehow realistic to view this as, as the normal con- conversion you would have in your sales True. funnel, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so basically we wanted to see some independent companies converting as customers. Um, and, and we did, right? It's, uh, I think I would say a couple of tens, right? So maybe 20, 30 around, around that we wanted to see as, as kind of a proof that this is somehow. This makes sense from a customer perspective. Got it.
1: The other thing that you mentioned is that at the beginning, you know, there were some solutions out there, but you had the impression, hey, we can do a better job at this. This is something that we often hear, you know, in the early days of an entrepreneur, maybe you're also a bit naive from the outside perspective where you say, hey, this is a problem. I want to solve it. Maybe there's nothing really satisfying in the market. And then you just get started. You just start executing things, building software is that something that also really helped you to be a bit naive in the beginning to keep going instead of thinking about all the
0: things that could go wrong and then eventually
1: don't do anything
0: i think it, yeah yeah i think so yeah because i think if i look back oh wow you know like i would right. i would, would look at that situation completely different right i would say oh wow you have a lot of small clients right a lot of long tail clients and then you know like like phew, you know, and there were systems in the market. Right. And yeah. I think, I think Valent- I have to give credit to Valentin. He really pushed, right. He said, oh, now, let's do it. Let's get it done. You know, let's do the next nice. step. Right. So that was really the kind of, of, of thrive came, came
1: also from him. Got it. And how did your product look like in the early days? What were like the core functionalities that you actually also then want clients with?
0: so we had so like the 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 one hostel world system in use basically we had some basic functionality we saw right and and that was like some of the companies later used and tracks off they initially used that hostel world system so we saw a bit okay so like simple functionality today you would laugh because of that thing right but you would say so we had that book now button right so Mm -hmm. there is a book now button you can book (laughs) your activity online you get instant confirmation right just you don't have to call so i think it almost sounds now funny because like like 10 years later you think you know that was a big thing table stakes right but like back then it was it was kind of still new right and uh so the main the main functionality was was really that just like book now buttons the other thing was then just like and that's already very um industry specific because it's how you manage your inventory to some degree it's mm-hmm. it, we don't call it inventory but it's basically you manage your trips your tours and and, and you have some capacity and you need to ha- you need to assign capacity to those to those bookings right or the other way around so you need to assign the bookings to the capacity and the kind of management i think that was something we tried to cover and that's still one of the most difficult things uh, 10 years later because there's so so many different uh, different types of like needs from a customer perspective so that's mm-hmm. still that remains a very challenging kind of aspect of, of in our industry and then i think the last piece which was key was channel management which is basically the link between our system and OTAs, online travel agencies mm-hmm. like Get Your Guide, Expedia, TripAdvisor. And there we basically, that link guarantees that you always have a way to manage everything from one capacity. And that you don't have to yeah. manage multiple capacities.
1: Yeah, otherwise I can imagine you have a lot of manual copy paste work or update work.
0: Yeah, you manage then the if you if you don't have channel management, you have to manage the extra net of get your guide, and you manage the extra net of TripAdvisor yeah. and then of Expedia, and early on without the interlock, and luckily we had that test or like that that early client, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because then then we could early on identify quite fast uh, the requirements from a client perspective.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. So that's actually also very impressive. You solved your own problem that you saw while being active in that industry, basically. Do you think that this is really a necessity to start a successful startup, that you are also the customer of your own solution eventually?
0: I think it helps to identify product market fit, for sure. Yep. There might be, that's a positive. The negative is that you might have conflict of interest because like I was basically on two sides of the table, right? I was in in that case, I I also then became a a co-owner of Outer Interlaken. Mm -hmm. So I was the customer plus I was the the, the service provider uh, from a software perspective. So like, like, but that's the negative. The positive is really you obviously you're super close to the client and, um, that product market fit is so important to, to identify early on. That really helps.
1: So you were then growing towards that product market fit. You know, many people talk about that product market fit, but how does it actually feel like? Did you also, you know, did anything change or when did you actually realize that, hey, now we're in a good position, now we have this product market fit. Was there anything special when you noticed that?
0: I think, I think, like, if you ask me about the feeling, um, I would say it's, it's almost like a feeling that makes sense. Mm-hmm. right and before you're just like working with a lot of assumptions right You you think yeah. okay this might work or this could work but then you have to feel okay no we're really solving a problem here right and and this yes. makes sense it's almost like a feeling this makes yeah. sense but i also have to say with product market fit i think these depending on the industry you're in it might be that you that you have that experience multiple times right because you mm-hmm. you basically evolve uh in in your product and 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 you see basically oh wow now it makes sense basically what i'm trying to say is that in our case we we found out okay this makes sense for a river rafting canyoning company and it might also make sense in regards of product market fit for a bus company but it doesn't make sense for a scuba diving company
1: Right. Interesting. Yeah. And if
0: you if you then later on, and I think we we'll come to that, but then if you have investors on board, mm-hmm. and you have a total addressable market which is relatively big, or you pitch that you pitch that it's very big, and it is big, right? But you basically then see, oh wow, the product market fit might be only really true for a sub segment of that market.
1: Right. Yeah. And talking about investors, in in 2013, you then decided to go fundraising why did you decide to go that way instead of staying bootstrapped
0: i think for software service it's it's um it, it's both is possible but back then i think um we thought let's 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 be a bit faster in the process and let's let somehow move faster forwards and um yeah and 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 let's you know I, I think to some degree like you, you bef- before said that You need to be a bit naive right and think uh, back then i also thought you know like all the cool guys or all the cool startups adrian for example you know they have investors right so that's what you need right (laughs) so yeah let's get let's get investors to some degree i i i think to some degree i would say naive from that sense that i thought this is the way you do it right if you want to have success on the other hand definitely the the speed aspect and yeah, and I think like in 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 the type of nature from a software service startup, right? Like you will have to invest a lot of time if you wanna bootstrap and finance everything by yourself, right? Yeah.
1: And in what way was the fundraising then helping you to actually, you know, get faster? What did you use the money for that you raised?
0: I think b- b- before that, I think for us it was another validation that if we get from the outside that kind of green light, this makes sense, right? This was right. also like another milestone for us to, to reach, yeah. right? So we thought, okay, if if there are investors who, who trust us, who give us money, that's mm-hmm. great, right? That That's another validation in that process. Um, so that was for sure also critical. And then I think in our case, we did invest into marketing sales. So basically build up that sales marketing funnel, Plus then also to invest into uh, R&D, mm-hmm. uh, for sure, because back then, I think we had Valentin and we had um, our first um, employee. He's still working with us, which is great. Philip Gerber, he's a, he's a fantastic developer. And so like we had a very small team and then we started to add on, on R&D and marketing sales. I would say that was that's the, that's the for sure the biggest need for investment in the early days.
1: Got it. And how does your business model actually look like? You have a mix between subscription, uh, a subscription model where you have recurrent revenues coming from the tour operators, but you also have a transaction business that where you also make money. So how how does your business model look like?
0: You mean back then or now?
1: Probably back then and now
0: and (laughs) how involved? Yeah. So back then we just charged um, only transactional fees. So before, like we didn't have any subscription income at all. Um, So it was transactional based. And the way that works, just to explain that maybe is, so let's assume we charge 100 Swiss franc to the tourist or to the guest of that Mm -hmm. trip. Um, And let's say, um, I think back then in the early days, we had 6%. Um, So then we would basically get 6% from 100. So that's six Swiss francs. So we keep that six Swiss francs as our fee. But it's transactional. So in other words, if there is zero revenue coming in um, from our clients, so from the yeah. operator of canning, river rafting, etc., then it's zero, right? Um, which mirrors basically very good the client. So when he's successful, we're successful mm-hmm. as well. Um Maybe we come to that, but we corona, COVID, right? Yes. So we figured out that there is another side to that as well, right? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that, so that was in the early days. And then later on, we we switched a bit to uh, a mixed kind of um, um, structure where we have transactional income plus subscription income. And today it's roundabout like w- across our group. So tracks of group, mm-hmm. um, one third is subscription income. So classic recurring every month, there is a, a, a like, a, like a, the, the customer gets billed uh, independent of the revenue he makes and two thirds is transactional.
1: Got it. Was it difficult at the beginning to go for a subscription based business model or why did you then decide to switch
0: it later down the road? Um, so the challenge we faced in regards of the transactional income, and it's still as of today, uh, Ten years later, or seven, year la- seven years later, depending on w- from where you calculate on. But it's the transactional revenue is very hard to forecast, right? Right. Yeah. And especially if you have in your sales marketing funnel a lot of new clients coming in every month. Um, if you want to do elite qualification, for example, how do you do that? Right. It's it's difficult. Right. Mm -hmm. um and it could be very misleading so um it's it's very difficult to qualify the 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 lead if you only sell transactional um um transactional based uh, income or revenue um and that was a challenge for us especially with like the way i look at sales is always with with uh um, rabbits, deers, and elephants, right? So like basically those, those, those different kind of levels of, 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 of um, size or size of clients, right? Mm-hmm. And especially with the long-tail clients, so with the rabbits, it's very difficult to judge, you know, are they worthwhile the effort? Yeah. Uh, so I think that was the main the, the kind of driver why we thought for that segment, for that smaller segment of the market, maybe um, classic recurring revenue subscription is the better way to go
1: got it yeah makes sense another thing that you actually started then in 2015 was to acquire competitors or other companies to join your treksoft group basically why was that the right strategy for you
0: yeah i think if we if we go back to the early days mm-hmm. um, and i think before i said something about okay so you identify product market fits but you, and you basically pitch then the big total addressable market to your investor base, okay. but you somehow identify that your product market fit is not only really available or true, is only true for a really sub-segment of that big total addressable market. Okay. And um, in 2000, I think 2016, 17, in, in that time frame, I just saw that it's, it doesn't make sense to only talk about this big total addressable market. So like yeah. a, a multi-billion dollar market, right? It's it's, it's great. It's I, obviously we were using that for the investor pitch, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. But I saw that um, if, if I'm very honest, the, the more relevant thing for us is to think more in those sub-segments of the market or sub-verticals or however you want to call it, right? right. And th- those total addressable markets are not that big. If you look, if isolate them and just say, okay, where do I have product market fit? Basically, I have it for, let's say, canning, adventure, one-day tour operators in Switzerland, right? Let's say it, it's that segment and it's not the worldwide big segment which involves like museums and attractions, you know, and all that stuff and if you if you think it from that perspective then the question is okay basically what makes now sense right like as a strategy and and there we just saw that there are many many very good companies in the market most of them were small medium sized companies so not startup with venture funding and stuff like that so mm-hmm. they were more like really good run run and and basically profitable small medium sized companies which just were addressing relatively small uh, niches inside um, the tourism industry. Right. Um, and there we thought, hey, like let's see if it makes sense to partner up with those, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 somehow develop the basically our story in a way where we're going towards more in that direction, right? And somehow become a group of niche champions, right? Uh, somehow working in, in the tourism industry, um, uh, like having having a similar mindset and exchange like best practices, exchange like uh, also somehow it's offer, somehow competition in a way inside our sure. group, right? Where we want to be all best in class, but not trying to fool ourselves by defining... A very big total addressable market and somehow got lost then somewhere like in, in, in the in the in the trial or basically in our way or in, in the in, in our initiative to solve the problem of that very big tro- total total addressable market.
1: Water damage or a fire in the office building can mean the end of your startup if you're not properly injured. Whether I'm just starting a new company or growing fast, the topic of insurance is often not a top priority. And that's totally fine. Yet, it's hugely important to be properly covered here. On a personal recommendation, I turned to the insurance broker WSR Partner with my first company. The advice is highly professional and completely independent. As an expert, WSR Partner understands the situation of my startup and obtains quotes from various insurance companies so that I can choose the best offer. They are paid directly by the insurance companies. There were no costs for me at all. Because we work with Alex and the team of WSR Partner, we offer you a free consultation. Get independent and professional advice, whether for startups or an insurance check for established companies. Book your free appointment now at www.swisspanner.org slash WSR. How do you then actually you know finance these acquisitions do you just raise more money uh, from your investors do you do a special deal where you also give the companies that you acquire shares in the whole group basically to let them participate in the on the future success or how do you actually execute that
0: yeah so i, I have to say we were very lucky that uh, we have investors which are very patient with us and um, i think also to some degree i assume that investors with a lot of experience they used to you know, kind of changing plans to some degree, right? Exactly. Um, so in our acquisitions, um, we did finance most of it via equity. So like, and basically by increasing our own equity mm-hmm. and and basically getting money um, to a big degree from our investors and then buying those companies. Um, I, I have to say, moving forward, that's not the plan. We want to continue to execute because otherwise... At, at at one point you you basically on on the long run that doesn't make sense right um yeah. uh, but but i think at back then it made sense because then our somehow cash flow potential wasn't big enough to finance it by ourselves
1: but now that will change eventually so you want to focus on cash flow acquisitions or stop doing acquisitions what's your strategy there
0: so the strategy is is uh, is um is uh, simple. Um, I, I'm a believer in the rule of 40. Um, so the rule of 40 concept, uh, uh, like, if I can explain that very, very, of course. Um, in, in simple terms, is basically the rule of 40. So the number is 40. And you add up organic growth and EBITDA margin, and that should be 40 should equal 40 or better. Um, and now we have a group of companies uh, inside Tracksoft Group. We are five companies. Um, three of them operate as software service uh, kind of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them were acquired. Um, and then we have um, two additional companies which were somehow spin offs out of Tracksoft. Um, one is PayO, which does payment processing, the other one is Experience Bank, which does channel management. Um, and then the three SaaS companies are Tracksoft. SaaS, we call it. So it's basically our um, like our SaaS, um, business. And then we have Digitickets. This was an, um, one of our first acquisi- acquisitions in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, super successful at the moment. Um, like that was really like the outlier in regards of performance, um, they, nice. uh, uh, in, in the UK. Um, and uh, Waldhart Software, which is a ski school software company. And the way we run it at the moment is really, we we believe in that rule of 40. We we exchange best practices. And we also believe in niches and relatively small total addressable markets. And we try to be laser focused there that we don't fool ourselves with big total addressable markets. And um, with the rule of 40, we are quite open to look at each business as its own business right Um, and sometimes there is room to grow and then obviously growth is always very welcome Mm -hmm. Um, but when it doesn't make sense to grow then we want to basically to come to that rule of 40 result right when there is no organic growth then you need to deliver EBITDA and EBITDA in our case also have to say that's close to free cash flow so we don't activate software to a large extent that's that's not the goal so like mm-hmm. when i talk about EBITDA it's also here it's not about fooling ourselves by activating the software yeah. it's really about being as close to free cash flow as possible
1: got it yeah. and that's a significantly Different approach than what we heard, for example, in uh, the Bexio story, where you focus on uh, unit economics, as you uh, nicely pointed out in our prep call. So, what is the different difference there from your perspective, and why does the rule of forty actually make more sense to you than the unit economics play?
0: Yeah, so that's I think that's that's a good question, um, and and I really enjoyed the, to listen to so, uh, your podcast with with Jeremy, Um and um, I think he explained in, in, in very good detail the, the unit economics kind of um, view of things, right? Mm-hmm. So how to run a company from that perspective to a, not only, but to a large extent, uh, you look at those unit economics. So you look at customer acquisition costs, you look at customer lifetime value um, and some other key PIs. Um, and we do that to some degree as well. But I think the difference is if you if it's all about efficiency and you think, does that make sense from an efficiency standpoint, then either the EBITDA or the custom acquisition costs, for example, or any other unit economic is a proxy for efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it depends on what, what you want to achieve, right? Or what we want to achieve to some degree. So if the goal is to say, you know, like, I don't care about, let's say, Everything beyond the customer acquisition cost to some degree. Right. So let's, let's assume I'm my my intention is to grow, and growth is paid at the moment in the in the market very good. So in, in regards of in from an investor p- perspective, right? In mm-hmm. regards of valuation, so growth has a very high value at the moment. So if that's the main objective, then I look on customer acquisition cost, I look on customer lifetime value, and I look on churn, um, and I don't care too much about the efficiency of the rest to some degree. Yeah. But if I look at the ABTR, the ABDR, assuming that it's free cash flow, or very close to free cash flow, it's a reflection of the efficiency of the, of the full organization, including everything, yeah. including the pencil, including the rent, including, you know, right. Yeah. And I think it depends a bit on, on the objective of, of the company. Right. Mm-hmm. If you want to generate the free cash flow, you need to look at the at the EBITDA free cash flow number. Um, in the rule of forty, you look as well on organic growth. So you look at both. Um, if you look on unit economics, I think you basically saying we have capital available, we're willing to burn cash, um, and it's be- or. It doesn't have to be that you burn cash, but you, you in theory you would be willing to do so. Right. Um and the main objective is just to to see how fast you can grow, basically. Yeah. Right.
1: To overemphasize that it's basically growth at all costs. That's the unit economics play. And potentially you also strive for an exit there to get so big, so valuable, growing so much faster than a large corporate might be able to, so that they then have sort of a need to acquire you. While the efficiency or the rule of 40 play might more be of, Hey, we want to have a profitable business. We want to potentially pay dividends, maybe do an IPO one day because we have the good economics to do so. Is that a a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, I think uh, yes. And the main, the main, the the key point there is the risk appetite, right? So if you, if you're willing to, to, um, take quite a bit of risk, then, um, I think it can be a very good strategy, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a question of probability of success, right? And uh, do I want to win the million lottery ticket, right? And um, <laughs> and there are, you know, like, I think the thing is that there are success cases like Jeremias with Bexio, that was a sure. fantastic success case. Um, so there are examples of people achieving this, right? The million lottery ticket. Um, but um, I think on the other hand, like i'm also an entrepreneur for myself to basically do the thing i most somehow trust in right and where i feel most comfortable in and um i think and and the other thing is then there i think both strategy can make a lot of sense it really depends on the company right and and on the founder team and where do you feel comfortable with but the important thing is that you stick then to it right so you shouldn't then change all the time from right. trying to optimize on the growth side or like on unit economics and then, then the next day you change to the rule of 40 concept so yeah. that's i think the worst right so i think either either way it's okay yeah. but uh don't don't change it too much right makes sense <laughs> Let's
1: also talk about another challenge that you already brought up uh, briefly: the COVID pandemic all over the globe, basically. So the coronavirus basically also had a huge impact on companies in the in the travel and leisure industry, obviously. So, what was your experience with TrekSoft? How did that impact you?
0: Yeah, this was this was a, it's a disaster, right? So this yep. is this is really not good. Um, um, and um i i think first of all it's 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 bad for humanity right so like there was like a lot of things uh, which 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 are are weren't nice right to see and and happening um and specifically in the tourism industry this is really this is you know like tourism industry has some some like we first of all we have seasonality then we have cyclicality right so it's a lot of those aspects which makes it difficult as an industry per se but then if something like like corona or covid hits right this is like this is uh very 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 difficult um and yeah i think you know like so many things which which are difficult then to execute right um and one of the things i think is is difficult then on a on a emotional level is a bit as well that you basically as a founder, you don't really know from a budgeting perspective what's now the reality, right? Mm. Because we had to change it so many times. And um, in software, the biggest spending block is is, is humans, right? It's people. Yeah. And um, so you're always a little bit on, on that thin line between thinking, okay, now I made a budget, so I'm hopeful that this will work yeah. out. But then on the other hand, you see oh, wow, if it doesn't work out, then I have to let go more people, right? Right. Um, And there's no other way to save money, right?
1: How do you do that? Like, did you get any support from the government? Did you send your people to short-time work? Or what did you do on on that regard?
0: A a bit of everything. (laughs) Um, But, um, yeah, it's, um, I think... um, yeah, uh, somehow it it worked out, so we're still here, and uh, we have, uh, I think, a, a good outlook uh, for the future. Or a good, I, I would say, we we have enough liquidity, um, and I think we also did adopt uh, adopt quite quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I had to let go quite a bit of people, and um, not not across tracks of group uh, because, like, not not every group company was affected the same. Mm-hmm. So we had um, one company in our group almost in 2020, almost making 1 million in net profit. So that was like the best performer. And, the, but we had also other companies like, like the one I'm running as CEO currently tracks of SARS, that division, mm-hmm. uh, that business unit that, which was uh, affected uh, very, very big time. And mm-hmm. there had to let go a lot of people and um, uh, yeah. And then government support for sure. Like we had but we had like we have subsidiaries in a lot of different countries so this was yeah. also some complexity we had to deal with um yeah so i hope that corona at one point is is done right <laughs> absolutely
1: i mean i know like letting go people is always super hard super difficult um it's like you have this connection to that person right you you work with them sometimes even for multiple years so it's really not easy to let them go despite the fact that COVID hit, did that make things easier in any way? Because, you know, it's not like your own fault or you didn't do a misplanning in terms of budgeting and now you can't afford them anymore. Did that help to a certain degree or was it still a very difficult conversation to have?
0: I think I, think I, I, I thought about that a couple of times. Okay, um, But I think it's, it's the completely the wrong direction. Right, yeah. this i think this is the, I, that's another thing I, where i can fool myself right in right. the end right so i think the the um yeah i'm, I'm i feel fully responsible for the outcome mm-hmm. for those employees who had to, who had to go the the other unfortunate thing was that we had a couple of really um a players really good employees and they yeah. they left by themselves because they said you know like that kind of you know this if you if you think about motivation for an employee right it's it's basically to some degree as well the career path right and if something like corona and COVID hits it's very difficult to to give that view to the employee and then i fully understand the really the the really a players that we still have a lot of a players but like some of them they they left right and that's that's difficult yeah.
1: Right. Well was that mainly due to the uncertainty that they say, hey,
0: we don't know when this will go back to normal or change? I think I think it's 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 uncertainty, it's uh, options, right? They have alternatives in the market, it's a lot of money right. in the market, so like a lot of startups have a lot of money to to spend, and not everyone is the same affected, right? So not every every company is sure. in, in travel, so <laughs> they yeah. um I think it's multiple reasons uh in the end. Yeah.
1: Makes sense. And what was the impact on your revenue side? I mean, you mentioned before there's the recurring revenue, there's the transactional revenue. What happened to both of them?
0: Yeah, so we have those five companies inside Tracks of Group, and um, like as a group, we lost round about in 2020, we lost around about 30 percent of our revenue, and we were b- b- close to ABDR zero basically, okay. so close to break even. Um, Um, And I would say, given the circumstances, this was was good, but it was mainly driven by by um, companies inside our group, which were not that much affected, right. And the kind of special thing in travel specifically was that if you had a very strong focus on domestic, um, so domestic travel, which means you go to an attraction to a theme park, or you Mm -hmm. somehow consume something domestically. Um, then it's this was not that much affected and in right. some cases there were even effects which were very strong in in a positive sense um, but the segments which were focused internationally they they suffered big time Hell. crazy right that looked like minus sometimes in some of those segments almost minus 90 percent in some of the months yeah. uh, let's say in april may like there was like negative turnover t- negative turnover turnover happening um similar to like a like a, a, a Bureau, right like of course uh, right
1: yeah right. i w- well, I've also expected like a, a much higher drop in revenue overall across the whole group so I think thirty percent while it hurts a lot it's still pretty well managed through such a difficult time
0: no, I, I think i i would say I'm super lucky that we have this, this group of niche champions. Yep. I think if, if if we wouldn't have done this strategy and we would have naturally focused more on the international markets, then we would be in a very different place. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very um I'm very happy that we that we choose that way. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: We also like to talk about opponents and supporters. Now, with opponents, many people think about competitors and people that sort of try to trick you into something. But one thing that you actually mentioned to me in the prep call was the inner game of entrepreneurship. So basically, one of the core opponents that you face is yourself. So please tell us a bit more about that, because I think that's super interesting to to learn and hear more about.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, like like these days... Like i maybe I start with back then two thousand ten I thought about competitive landscape and their right. competitors, like and you have that on every investor presentation that's a that's a must right yep. so you need to identify some of your competitors and you list them and then you think you know um i i i i beat all of them right <laughs> in a way course, right? so yeah, that's, the that, story. that's that's the story right <laughs> so um but um i think th- I think the concept is is I think is wrong, right? I think that's not the way to look at it. I think the better way to look at it is more closer to Peter Thiel's perspective on zero to one, where he said, you know, like competition is for losers, right? Yeah. Um, but that's that's a segment, uh, that's just like coming back to that, those small total addressable markets instead of big total addressable markets mm-hmm. and trying in those small total addressable markets b- to be number one too. What I meant in the, in the pre-discussion we had together was in, in particular... That I think the competitive landscape still like, I to some degree I monitor it. Um, I also have to say that this is of l- course it, it's not that I, 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 I'm basically ignoring it, that would also would also be wrong. But I think mentally with my mind share I try to focus more on the inner game and the challenges um I have with myself basically. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and, and 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 there basically the goal is just to yeah to make sure that um I, I carefully listen to, to you know, challenges I, I see. And there was an important book um, from Stefan Merat, uh, Der Weg zum Erfolgreichen Unternehmer. That, that's really a good book, which also somehow addresses that, you know, the inner game, you know, and somehow you could, you could somehow stand in the way of the company development if you not mm-hmm. somehow develop yourself.
1: So what are your biggest uh, fights that you have of yourself in that regard?
0: I think we don't have enough time to go through all of them, right? (laughs) Okay, maybe pick
1: your top one—the one that you that was the toughest or the most memorable.
0: For me, it was fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very a strong, strong feeling, and uh, I, I, I somehow I had that in in a very strong way, and um, it took me quite a bit of 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 time energy and and seminars you know i i try to invest a bit of 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 my time um into that personal development aspect right somehow to Work on that I- inner game mm-hmm. and try to improve. So I did uh, Tony Robbins seminars, you know, uh, or in Germany there is uh, the, the 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 German Tony Robbins, basically the Christian Bischoff, right? Yep. So I did, did some of those seminars. I did read books, and but fear was a really strong feeling I had. What um, were you afraid of? Um, I think I think it it was a bit that somehow i wanted just to basically make it right right mm-hmm. and, and somehow i had that pressure i wanted to make it right and then i had that somehow feeling of fear that i'm somehow missing out in in one form or the other um and uh yeah that's really feeling like as a feeling fear is a is is, is not a nice thing
1: right <laughs> it can be super strong yeah yeah, yeah do you mentioned the seminars uh that you took did you also get any additional help like did you talk to professionals or anyone else that helped you along the
0: way to to manage your fear and the expectations i think i think i tried out everything and i yeah. continue to try out everything <laughs> so that's 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 for sure and i i think it's something which is which is an ongoing process right mm-hmm. so the um and i think it's also one of the big chances um you know, you have as an entrepreneur uh, to somehow develop your own personality, right? And somehow make sure that you don't stay, stand in the way of the company to, to develop, to, okay. to grow. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that so openly. I think many people can actually relate to these feelings and are probably glad to hear that other feel, others feel the same way. So I think that's super valuable. Of course, you also have supporters. So, of course, you have investors and and everyone on board, your employees. But you also picked three very specific people that supported you along the journey. Do you want to share why you picked them and who you actually picked?
0: Yes, of course. So, like the the first one is my uh, fiancée. So, my future wife, Ramona. um, And uh, she is also an entrepreneur. She's a goldsmith. And uh, uh, she has as well a company company in in a very good location in the middle of zurich and um she's she's also running her company as an entrepreneur and you know like we have every every day basically when you see each other we have conversations around also like a big topic there is that inner game you know Mm -hmm. like how do you feel right is it is it you know like do you think it's it's okay or you know like like and and i'm so grateful for that that we have those discussions you know and we go walking and then you know like we're a couple, right? But we also discuss, right, all those things, oh, of right? Of course, of course. So that's that's super key. And then um, Valentin, as as my co-founder at Trexoft, and also as a close friend to mine, I think he's great. He's very different to, in in a way, to me, right? So he 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 functions differently in his head, <laughs> and um, so but that's super good to have his his view on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third is Adrian uh, Locher. Um, like he's he's like he's still, you know, like if you if you do early on such like in in young ages like like a company together, it somehow still. I think for me mentally, it's 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 something which still is very close to me, right? And and obviously he's an inspiration. He's also doing completely different things, right? But he's definitely an inspiration.
1: Absolutely cool, good selection, I would say. <laughs> So let's also look where you currently stand. You cater to operators in over 130 countries all over the world. Basically, you are a group of vertical market niche subscale SaaS businesses and businesses in general with over 10 million in revenue before COVID hit. So what's next for you? What, what are your goals with Treksoft and your ambitions?
0: <clears throat> yeah. So, um, uh, hopefully at one point corona will 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 somehow be less a topic right so that's that's key for us because in in the the kind of market we're in that's that's somehow it is travel industry right tourism industry and and we still it's, it's we still see the the corona impact of things but we're currently working on a three year plan mm-hmm that's uh that was by the way something which was recommended just recently to me that we should do a three year plan and I think it's a very good exercise to do um and the goal is really to to execute the the strategy around smaller total total addressable markets so not mm-hmm. not 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 take the the super big ones but take the smaller ones but there have the ambition to be number one or number two in those segments um execute the strategy along the rule of 40 so like uh basically, uh, have that internal sports competition that we yep. want to have that rule of 4 result or be as close to it as, as possible. Um, share best practices, learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if we see growth potential organically, sometimes we have currently a couple of projects where we do spin-off uh, of basically in, in, a, in an application there might be like a segment of the application which might have a potential to become its own solution, like its own application. Then we spin those spin those applications off into its own business unit, mm-hmm. and then we can use that as a way to grow organically. So that's super exciting at the moment. And then the other thing is still, we, we plan to add additional acquisitions, um, but those we want to finance with our own free cash flow um, as much as possible and don't be dependent on adding more uh, equity.
1: Nice. A very exciting future. Do you also think about the potential exit or IPO with TrekSoft?
0: Obviously, that's that's another thing which um, needs to be on every investor pitch, right? So you need yeah. to have that kind of of, of exit perspective. Um, I I I would say that I was thinking a lot about you know like like how does that perspective looks like, right? Mm-hmm. From an exit perspective, but I thought now more recently that this is just like almost a bit. Um, Wasting a bit of my mind share mm-hmm. um, uh, to think too much about that, right? But but uh, yeah, we had we had along the ways we had several kind of potential either ways to sell to a strategical uh, partner or um, yeah we had we had other considerations. But I I think for me I really try to not think too much about that.
1: Again, don't fool yourself, right? Yeah. Fantastic. So before we wrap up the conversation, we also want to know about your personal gadgets and resources recommendations. Anything comes to mind in terms of books, blogs, podcasts, newsletters that you can recommend
0: to our listeners? Yeah, so um, maybe books. Um, I would say um, Stefan Merath, as as I said before, so he actually wrote three books, and I think all of them, uh, all of the three are are really good. Cool. I listen a lot of of, of um um uh, kind of um uh on audible, you know, like mm-hmm. those that, so that that's great. So audible as a gadget maybe. Um yeah, and I, I think at at the moment what I'm really excited about is as well the entrepreneur operating system EOS. That's I, fantastic. I, I, I really think that's great yeah. and I, I like one of the companies already did implement that um mm-hmm. and I plan to add it to, to more of the group companies. So
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. we actually also once did a dedicated podcast episode about that EOS system with uh, the EOS implement, the Chris Borger It was fantastic. And we also use it ourselves at SwissPinner for three years. It's, cool. it's nice. super cool.
0: Cool. Uh, that, that's another positive confirmation that uh, we should focus a bit more on that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So the, for the very last part, we prepare some rapid fire questions for you. So I either give you a choice or a short question and you have to uh, basically explain to us why you made that choice or what you answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Yeah. So vacation in Switzerland or vacation abroad? Switzerland. Where in Switzerland.
0: Oh, either in uh, um, in uh, Ascona or in Arosa.
1: Got it. Are you a Migro or a Cope child? Uh, Cope. Now this will be a tough one: Zurich or Interlaken.
0: <laughs> um, I, you know, like my heart, you know, like <laughs> th- w- where the love is. Right, that the love uh, currently is because of Ramona. It's in. It's in Zurich.
1: Got it. What title should we give to this interview?
0: Like, like, like um, learn uh, learnings from a rule of forty slash subscale SaaS operator. Cool. That, I, that, that sounds complex. No. I,
1: I also have another suggestion. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, don't fool yourself. Don't I fool think, yourself. Yeah, maybe that's also that was a good also one. a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You make decisions in five hours or five months. Or
0: five minutes maybe. <laughs> Ooh, um, no, I'm 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 more on the faster side, I would say. For <laughs> okay. like five hours. Yeah, maybe five hours. Yeah. Depending on the decision, of right? course. Uh, yeah. 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 And do you have any favorite
1: activity on Treksoft? Yeah,
0: you know, what kind of activity?
1: You know, anything that you like to book or use yourself from all the offerings that you have on the platform.
0: Are you really asking me that now? Yeah. Because like I would do now a very long <laughs> advertising for Outdoor Interlaken. So you can book in Interlaken everything on OutdoorInterlaken.ch. It's river rafting, canyoning, whatever you like. So those are fantastic. And behind, you will book with Treksoft and have an awesome booking experience. Well, that, that was a very was good like, promo like, spot. Yeah, yeah, that was a good promo, right?
1: <laughs> but To be fair, we actually did a Swisperer <laughs> skydiving in Interlaken about right. one week ago. That was fantastic.
0: That's that's really uh, good. yeah we love
1: to reach. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. Cool. And I think with these beautiful images in our head that's the perfect way to end today's conversation. Philip, thank you so much for being here today. All the best of fighting Corona and getting back to the 10 million revenue and we're super excited to see what you will build in the future.
0: Thanks a lot Sylvain.
1: This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business. The digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.